0: Welcome to Mad Men Deconstructed. This is Season 1, Episode 2, Ladies' Room. So our last episode focused on the series premiere and its introduction of Don Draper and several other main characters. The ending of last week showed us Pete Campbell cheating on his fiancée with Peggy Olson, and we closed the episode after meeting Betty Draper and learning about Don Draper's well-compartmentalized family life. This week, we'll take a look at Ladies' Room, the follow-up to Mad Men's debut, an episode which momentarily takes the show away from topics of advertising to more closely examine its leading women. Matthew Weiner finished the script for Ladies Room seven years after the pilot. The episode filmed over a year after the completion of the pilot. During this time, Weiner decided to move the production from New York City to Los Angeles and settled on roles for many of the pilot's cast members. Some of these roles changed significantly. Paul Kinsey, for example, was rebranded from a nondescript account executive into a more bohemian copywriter. Burt Cooper, the eccentric senior partner at Sterling Cooper, is introduced for the first time, played by Robert Morse. Before his audition, Morse nervously appealed to a man handing out scripts, saying, I don't know what I'm reading. Can you help me understand this? When he walked into the audition room, he was introduced to the exact same man. It was Matthew Weiner. Ladies' Room is in many ways disconnected from the events of the previous episode. While there are few references to the pilot, it exists mostly in parallel, largely ignoring the world of advertising, focusing on personal life. There are no major ad pitches or client meetings in this episode. Pete Campbell is absent, honeymooning in Niagara Falls with his wife Trudy. Even Don is pictured mostly outside of the office, his story more of an undercurrent to the episode's other plotlines. Instead, the episode unfolds in a series of seemingly disconnected stories about three women, their lives thematically intertwined in their response to the question, how do I deal with being a woman in this world? The title Ladies' Room comes from a quote Weiner heard that, at that time, in any office in Manhattan, you could find a woman crying in the ladies' room. And most of the episode's events provide answers to the difficulties of women's lives at the time. We'll start with Peggy Olson, Don Draper's new secretary, who spends the episode sorting out how she'll respond to the oppressive culture at Sterling Cooper. Ladies room dives deeper into Peggy's relationship with Joan Holloway and introduces her to the young copywriter, Paul Kinsey. Peggy's first scene is at the office where we see her talking to Joan, excited about getting her first paycheck as Joan, ever cynical, douses her enthusiasm, telling her that she'd never know if she was at the bottom of the food chain. The two women enter the ladies' room, where they find another secretary crying in front of the bathroom mirror. Peggy tries to reassure her, and we get this brilliantly constructed shot, with Peggy visible in the foreground, consoling Bridget, whose back is turned to the camera, but whose face is visible in the mirror. In another mirror, we see Joan looking on cruelly. Without a doubt, the show is contrasting these two women. Joan, experienced accepting this sight of a woman crying in the bathroom, is ordinary, while Peggy is still too naive to realize the normalcy. Later in the episode, Peggy tries to catch up on some work, but is invited to lunch by Joan. Harry Crane and Ken Cosgrove, returning to their roles from the pilot, offer to take the girls out. The group discuss Pete Campbell's honeymoon in Niagara Falls while Peggy listens hopefully. Out at lunch, Ken makes an uninvited sexual advance towards Peggy, but she becomes visibly uncomfortable and rejects him. It's unclear whether Peggy harbors specific feelings for Pete, or if she's returned to the moral innocence she displayed throughout much of the pilot. For most of the pilot, Peggy acts as the new girl, an outsider, morally uncorrupted. We theorize that her surrender to Pete's advances was a way for her to anchor herself in this new world of the show, to create some kind of emotional connection to someone in its cast. With Pete gone, Peggy often feels disconnected from the rest of the cast. We later see Peggy alone in the office at lunch. She's approached by Paul, who encourages her to grab a sandwich and offers to give her a tour. Lady's Room does a fantastic job adding depth to Paul's character. He's in several scenes, including another brainstorming meeting where Don rejects his copy for spray-on deodorant. Paul was originally intended to blend in as a young junior account executive, but is instead portrayed as a hipster copywriter. He smokes a pipe rather than smoking cigarettes, and he's obsessed with science fiction. The episode makes reference to the Twilight Zone and later bases Paul's ad campaign around an astronaut holding a right card can saying, "It works in my suit and in yours." Paul is friendly, almost chivalrous, in how he initially treats Peggy. He buys her lunch and they tour the empty office. As they walk the set, Paul explains that Sterling Cooper makes money by marking up ads at places on billboards, TV, radio and in magazines, and that the majority of the business that we see on the show is creative and social window dressing given to the client free of charge. This is well stated, and it clears up some of the details of the ad industry that Mad Men had to this point failed to address. I also think, it insinuates, that the creative and account executives portrayed on the show are hugely egotistical. They're carried away with their own importance, even though their services aren't bringing in any real money to the agency. It's interesting to see Paul point out these other areas of the ad business like media buying and accounting that have been up to now unheard of, perhaps suggesting that this agency is a lot bigger and more coordinated than it seems, and that it doesn't rely exclusively on the creative energy of a handful of executives. It's also interesting that these details are revealed to Peggy. She's of course the outsider character who, much like us, knows little about advertising and carries modern ideas of right and wrong so much so that she judges many of the events of the show similarly to how we would judge them. She's encountering much of this world for the first time, just as we do, and in a way she serves as our eyes, ears, and conscience within the world of the show. We're also shown more of Peggy and begin to understand her more intimately than the rest of the cast. Many of the shots involving Peggy employ her perspective. We see things as she would see them and start to share secrets with her. The pilot episode ended by showing us a very private moment for Peggy, and Lady's Room plays on this, showing us how this moment remains emotionally significant for her, in small details like her facial expressions, or her hiding Pete's postcard in her office drawer. So when Paul seems initially sincere, we hope that Peggy has finally found a friend in the office. But when she goes to his office to thank him for lunch, he kisses her and makes a sexual advance towards her, Paul is embarrassed as Peggy rejects him and is visibly upset as she returns to her desk, where Joan first admonishes her for typing mistakes and later suggests that she should enjoy the attention she receives as the new girl at the office. Peggy sits down to correct the letters but notices a series of men gawking at her as they walk past, one after another. She goes to the ladies' room where we see another similarly composed shot with a different secretary crying in the mirror. Peggy's back is to us, and she's standing in front of the mirror, much like Bridget in the episode's earlier scene, her eyes red as we see a close-up of her reflection. But Peggy fights back her emotions and composes herself, returning to the office. While it devotes significant time to Peggy Olsen's story, Lady's Room's primary focus is on an intertwined sequence of events linking Don, Betty, and Midge. If you recall, Betty and Midge were both introduced in the pilot episode, but neither received any motivating storylines. In fact, Betty's role in the pilot was so small that writer Matthew Weiner wrote new scenes for actress January Jones during her audition. This episode expands significantly on the characters of Betty and Midge, and reveals more conflict beneath Don's exterior. The opening scene was filmed at The Prince in Koreatown, Los Angeles, and shows Don and Betty out to dinner with Roger Sterling and his wife, Mona, played by the real-life wife of actor John Slattery. Roger reveals that his daughter has recently begun seeing a therapist, and he dismisses the idea of psychiatry, claiming he was raised well by his childhood nannies. They discuss their upbringings, and Don evades Roger's personal questions, claiming he doesn't want to ruin the first half of his novel. Betty and Mona leave for the ladies' room, where we see another similarly composed shot, with Betty looking at herself in the mirror. She fumbles with her lipstick as her hands shake, and she confesses to Mona that her mother recently passed away. Betty and Don are then shown after dinner in this hilarious driving shot, where the car rocks, but the background is completely still. Betty has this fawning quote where she tells Don, I like seeing you the way other people see you. It's as though Betty knows nothing about Don. She tries again to ask him about his childhood, but Don evades her questions. We next see Betty awake at dawn, sitting up in bed, smoking, worried, looking at Don as he sleeps, turned away from her. She moves beside him and holds him as she whispers, who's in there? These scenes offer an immediate contrast to the closing shot from the series premiere, where Betty, Don, and their children are shown as this hopeful, perfect family. The casting directors picked actress January Jones specifically for her resemblance to Grace Kelly, and she seems to represent this superficially ideal wife of the time. Beautiful, well-mannered, nurturing. But Betty's hand clenching, which was reshot several times, suggests she's repressing some deeply held anxiety. They also hint at a strain between Don and Betty. These two seem outwardly perfect, but they don't share a lot of common ground. When Betty asks Don simple questions about his childhood, it reveals how little she knows about him. She's married to a stranger. The way these details are shown suggests that they're connected. The scenes are sequenced so that Betty's hand clenching is immediately followed by her inability to unlock Don's past. Don states that talking about himself is a sin of pride, unaware that his refusal to have these conversations is rooted in his own pride. He's unable to empathize with Betty's longing for a closer connection or understand how his secrecy causes her fears of loneliness. Betty's story continues when she's shown at home gossiping with her friend Francine. Francine is visibly pregnant and shares that their new neighbor, Helen Bishop, is divorced and raises two children by herself. She then comments that it must be hard for a single woman to worry about money when trying to raise a family. The two women smoke and drink until Betty calls for her daughter Sally, who appears draped in a plastic laundry bag. Betty scolds her. This immediately cuts to a shot of Betty's car driving down their tree-lined street. We see Sally and her brother Bobby crawling through the car while Betty drives quietly, her mind adrift. The music builds gently, but contributes significantly to the rising tension in this scene. As she looks out the car window, Betty sees Helen Bishop dragging boxes into her new home. Her hands numb and clench again as we see a close-up shot that follows her perspective. The camera switches away to quickly show her in the car. The kids' laughter drowned out by the intensifying music. We then return to her perspective as the car veers off the road and crashes onto her front lawn. Betty, exasperated, sits panicked for a moment before she checks on the kids, who laugh in the backseat as if nothing even happened. She sinks against the side of the car and holds a hand to her head. The shot of Betty fades into another scene with Don in bed with Midge at her apartment. Madman makes frequent use of fade effects, This one is particularly well-placed in how it conveys simultaneity. That Betty's anxiety attack and accident are happening while Don makes love with his mistress. As Midge gets up, Don notices a TV and asks her where she got it from. Don's hinting at the uncommitted nature of their relationship here, and it's especially hypocritical when he, a married man, grows jealous that Midge has relationships with other men. Midge gets to the heart of the issue immediately, dropping the TV out the window as she and Don laugh. Don rushes home where he and Betty discuss the accident and she suggests psychiatric therapy as an option. Betty claims that she's seen several specialists and that nothing is physically wrong with her. But Don dismisses the idea, telling Betty that psychiatry is for unhappy people. He points to their home and family and asks if she's unhappy. But Don is visibly bothered the next day as he discusses the right guard pitch. Paul excitedly presents a campaign centered around a space-age astronaut appealing that the company's spray-on deodorant is a modern product from a future that is so close to us now, filled with wonder. Don sits brooding before noting that new ideas can be upsetting, and he asks Paul to bring it back down to earth, saying that women will buy the product and that creating a successful pitch relies on answering the question, what do women want? Paul jokes about how he's given up trying to figure this out, but Don becomes temperamental. This idea is clearly frustrating him, He leans back, pondering out loud in front of the group, questioning his idea that women want a cowboy, a man who's steady and dependable, inferring that maybe there's more. Later that day, Don sits in his office and asks the same question to Roger. But unlike Don, Roger's opinion is settled, and he dismisses the idea entirely. He declares that psychiatry is simply another form of happiness for women to own, that their desires are rooted in an unending pursuit of contentment. He claims that women want everything, and suggests that Don put Betty's troubles in the hands of a psychiatrist. It's at this moment that we see Roger's character start to shine. The hypocrisy of an advertising executive admonishing consumerism is obvious, but there's something more deeply revealing in this scene that hints at the corporate disillusionment these men experience in the show. When Roger announces that women want everything, that their desires are only temporarily satisfied by something new, he's unconsciously making a point about human nature that ownership and accomplishment are fleeting forms of satisfaction. Roger and Don are not family men. They don't have diverse interests outside of the office. They spend their energy pursuing new business, from one client to the next. So it speaks to their lack of self-awareness when they discuss others' happiness as fleeting, given that their own happiness is tied to the temporary successes of advertising. Don returns home, giving Betty a white gold watch in hopes it will make her happy. She thanks him before revisiting her accident, worrying that she could have left Sally permanently scarred, suggesting Sally would be better off dead than alone and unloved. Don is shocked by this. The camera comes close to the couple, drifting between close-up shots of Betty sitting, worriedly begging Don for help, and Don holding her, kissing the top of her head, struggling to understand. This shot recalls the scene from the pilot outside Peggy's apartment, And conveys a similar thematic concept of disconnectedness while don and betty are physically close they struggle to empathize with one another they're both looking out at the same world but have largely different perspectives betty's routine acceptance of don's gift shows that this type of material affection is something she's grown accustomed to but her continuing anxiety shows that she's yearning for something more and don's acquiescence to her appeals for a therapist is perhaps a signal that he's taken roger's advice and given up any hope that he can solve her unhappiness. Don is shown the next morning outside Midge's apartment, where he tells her that he can't tell whether she has everything or nothing. Midge explains that her happiness is rooted in her lack of attachments, that she lives in the moment with complete freedom. Meanwhile, Betty visits Dr. Arnold Wayne in an uncomfortable therapy session. She lies on a sofa, her dress sprawling around her, her enthusiasm fading into anxiety, as Wayne listens in silence. She takes off the watch Don gave to her as she lights a cigarette and introduces random topics like the bomb. Don lies on Midge's bed and asks her, what do women want? Before he arrives at his right guard tagline and perhaps the solution to his marital challenges. What do women want? Any excuse to get closer. He's later shown in a hopefully romantic dinner with Betty, where the two now sit side by side. But that hope is quickly suffocated when the two return home and Don enters his office where he discusses Betty's therapy session with Dr. Wayne revealing that he's coordinated these sessions to gain insight into Betty's private thoughts. The office door closes as the camera shows their dark empty home. When I think of consequential episodes in Mad Men's development, Ladies Room is perhaps near the top. It would have been easy for the show to become formulaic, presenting a series of self-contained advertising stories. From the offices of Sterling Cooper, but Lady's Room offers a structural contrast with Mad Men's Pilot, striving less for plot resolution and instead focusing on thematic elements. The episode signals the show's intention to dig deeper into its characters and develop more slowly. The characters in focus here are women Betty Draper, Peggy Olson, and Midge Daniels. The unfolding lives of these women show striking differences, and they're all confronted with unique issues but they're brought together for an episode by this shared struggle, exposed in thematically similar shots like Peggy and Betty's mirror scenes. Ladies' Room, to me, is Mad Men's examination of the question, how do I find my happiness as a woman in this world? Photography contributes heavily to our perception of this shared struggle. It would be easy for us to view Peggy's struggles as entirely unrelated to Betty's, But similarities in the construction of each woman's scenes in front of the mirror help us link the events of the episode as originating from a common problem. Men in this world are out of touch with the individual ambitions of women. For Peggy, this is the ambition to be respected, to be successful. For Betty, this is to be loved. And for Midge, this is to be free. Each woman strives for their own version of happiness. And confronted with challenges, we see how each woman responds. For Betty, this is apparent from her first scenes. She's shown fumbling in front of the mirror, her hands trembling, nervous as she fights to repress her anxiety. It's revealed that her mother recently passed away. The sight of a divorced woman triggers another panic attack, and she later worries about the consequences of Sally being scarred, suggesting she'd be better dead than alone. Betty is a young woman married to a man she hardly knows. She wants to get closer to him, to work through his guardedness and form a more emotional bond. To feel loved but Don is unwilling Betty's fears remain unexpressed perhaps even to herself it's suggested that Betty does not even allow herself to think of Don as unfaithful she remains submissive to him and adapts an outward happiness but her repressed fear of abandonment provokes the panic attacks we see throughout the episode Peggy's confrontation is more explicit It's the result of an oppressive culture of harassment from men who fail to respect her as an employee. We see her first consoling Bridget in the ladies' room while Joan looks on cynically. She later returns, frustrated by Paul's sexual advances, and stares in the mirror tensely, her eyes red. But she collects herself, becoming almost defiant, refusing to cry. It's in this moment that Peggy accepts the inequity, and she resolves to struggle against it. Midge struggles against perhaps the most subtle issues in the episode, her shaky relationship with Don and his attempts to own her. Don hints at this when he asks her about her new television, implying that she's seeing other people. Don made similar implications in the pilot, telling Midge they should get married. But Midge understands Don, perhaps better than he understands himself. She knows that his obsession with her is driven by his inability to control her, and that once she submits to him, he'll no longer be interested in her. Her desire is freedom, the clarity she finds when making decisions with only her momentary impulses in mind. While this episode focuses on the women of Mad Men, it's important to pay attention to how Betty and Midge's stories contribute to the development of Don Draper's character. Don's relationships often reveal problems he's running from and solutions he's embracing. And when he can't find a way to relate to Betty's problems, Don is repeatedly shown with Midge, Scenes with Betty, Don, and Midge are often sequenced to highlight Don's marital struggles and show Midge as an outlet. Matthew Weiner has suggested that Midge can be interpreted as Don's id. She's the embodiment of Don refusing morality and succumbing to his base desires. And Betty is perhaps an ideal that Don is trying to create. This episode starts to break down that ideal, portraying Betty as an imperfect woman who represses her emotions and struggles to communicate. Don is evasive when Betty brings up his past and later becomes frustrated by the idea of her seeing a psychiatrist. He buys Betty a gold watch, but it's the wrong solution to a problem she won't allow herself to express. Lady's Room shows the fault in Don and Betty's marriage, Don's inability to empathize with her. So while he's attracted to the image that Betty evokes, he's not emotionally equipped to bring her happiness. He struggles to deal with how his responsibilities as a husband and a father hinder him, and there's a secrecy about him, a withholding that prevents Betty from getting close to him and feeling the love she needs. Lady's Room broke new ground for madmen, giving us insight into the complicated personal lives of Don, Betty, and Peggy. Don's secrecy becomes hard to ignore in this episode. His relationships with Betty and Midge are shown more prominently, Peggy's personality becomes increasingly clear, and she arrives at a powerful resolution while staring at herself in a bathroom mirror. But as Mad Men shares more of Peggy's personal moments, we're left to wonder how Don's secrets will be revealed. We'll discuss those secrets and more in our next episode, as Pete Campbell returns, Sally Draper has a birthday party, and Don meets an old friend. Hi, everyone. I wanted to note that this is a redo of an episode previously released on September 1st, 2020. As always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to leave any feedback, please contact me at madmendeconstructedpodcast at gmail.com. I'll leave a link in the episode description.